Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Just a quick message to say, if you're interested in working with me on the topic of change, I've just agreed dates Um, kicking off the 30th of September 2021 for our next cohort of change superheroes. It's a really small select group we tend to work with. We have three um, three modules, different aspects of change, and you get free 360 feedback and say, I run it personally. And I really, really love running this um, particular training session. It tends to be HR, OD, and occasionally business professionals who are involved in change. And it's really, really practical. So if you're looking for some self-development uh, on the topic of change, then why not take a look at our website and do get in touch if you'd like to know more about that. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. This week, I'm going to focus on the topic of diversity and inclusion. And I've had to research this because it's not a topic that I know an awful lot about personally, but it is something that I believe is really important for us. And at Actors, we do monthly themes and it's our theme for September, which prompted me to do a a bit of reading around. And I thought it would be helpful to share some of the research that I've picked up from the CIPD, from McKinsey, from Forbes, from various other sources, and potentially look at the business case that you might want to build if you want to focus in on diversity and inclusion in your organisation, to look at how you might create that business case and get people on board. Because the reality is, if you want to do anything about it, um, and there is a strong business case for it, then you need to make sure that you've got senior management sponsorship, as is the case with so many things that you might do. So starting out, I mean, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, I'm sure you would all know this, but what are we actually talking about here? We're talking about recognising that although people have things in common, they're also different in many, many ways. And that's absolutely fine. In fact, and valuing and um, celebrating these differences is a way in which we can be more inclusive, but also that brings some very strong business benefits, which we'll talk about. So um, that's what we're talking diversity and inclusion, what we actually um, what, what we mean by this. And of course, there are so many areas of diversity, aren't there, that uh, we need to be aware of. I'm sure many of you are more expert than me in terms of the areas that you don't want to discriminate against. But the main topics would be gender, race, age, disability, religion and sexual orientation in terms of greater inclusivity against these groups and making sure that they're actually um, fully included. Most of the data, however, is about gender and race. And that's where a lot of the business case data um, comes through. 
in terms of the visibility of it, I guess, because actually some of the other information people don't always know uh, in, in terms of doing the metrics on it. So uh, we know there is definitely a challenge in many ways. The We know that the gender pay gap, for example, remains stubbornly high. There's too many people, for example, one in nine mothers reported that they were dismissed, made compulsorily redundant or treated so badly they felt they had to leave their jobs. Um, we know that the, the gender pay gap in the UK still stands at 17%. And there are lots of reasons for that. It's not as simple uh as, as people just actually actively discriminating against it, it's all to do with things to do with economic reasons, cultural reasons. So it's quite complex in terms of addressing these. But when you look at those areas, sometimes I feel if you're an HR person in an organisation and trying to do the right thing, it's how do you motivate or show an absolute benefit of doing this? So you could say, yes, of course, it's the right thing for us to be inclusive uh, across all of the different areas of diversity. We should be fully, fully inclusive. But how do we motivate the organisation to do something about it, if you like? So that's where I thought it was useful to look at some of the business case data. And this source that I found, it was pre-COVID as in the data for 2019, but they were looking at the difference between 2014 and 2019 when people were becoming very aware about diversity. And as I said before, this is mainly gender and ethnic minority diversity. And they showed that the most diverse companies are now more likely than ever to outperform their less diverse peers on profitability. So they showed that companies that were in the top quartile for gender diversity, and that could be 30% females, um, that's all, not necessarily, were 25% more likely to have above average profitability than companies in the fourth quartile. So it's quite a big difference between the top and the bottom, and that was up from 21%. And they also found that the greater the representation of women, the greater the likelihood of outperformance. So it does indicate, it does suggest that that is a causal factor, I suppose. Um, so they're saying that companies with more than 30% women execs were more likely to outperform companies in a higher level, more, more likely to outperform companies with 0 to 30% women, and even more likely to perform those with little or none. And it's a similar story with ethnic, ethnic minorities. They showed that actually, uh, in terms of increasing ethnic minorities, those, those organisations, in fact, the, the difference was even greater. So your top quartile businesses were outperforming by 35% if they had a more ethnically diverse uh, executive team. So this is the senior leaders in there, who I guess are people making decisions. Now, I mean, do we know why this is? Uh, Certainly, there's indications that uh, having more diversity means that people are more collaborative, that you would talk more widely, there's more discussion, maybe there's more difference of opinion and people don't go down, down the route. We know that um, women can on boards can reduce risks, um, so excessive risk, which may, of course, lead to what we're talking about here is profitability, which makes people sit up and take notice. So if there is less risk, you're less likely to risk your profitability. So that's um, those are interesting, pretty compelling facts. If you're looking at putting in place some sort of diversity and inclusion um, activity or you know, actually investing some time and resources and wanting people to get behind it, those figures are really quite 
compelling, I would say, that 35%, they're, they're stronger than things like engagement. So uh, if we, you know, we've, we've spent money and we've looked at engagement over the last 20 years or so, then actually this would say to me very clearly that diversity in leadership, and that's not to say it isn't positive elsewhere, it's just that that's what a lot of the research is, definitely seems to show that most diverse companies are now more likely than ever to outperform their less diverse peers in terms of profitability. So I suppose the question is, where would you position your organisation? How, you know, where are you in terms of, do you have a diverse leadership team? You might be a large organisation, a small organisation. The um, McKinsey article is interesting because they they say that um, progress is really slow with female representative representation on executive in the UK and the US having moved from 15% to 20% over the years 2014 to 2019. Now that's interesting that to me because I actually thought an increase of 5% from 15 to 20% so quite a significant um, proportionate increase in five years isn't bad. I'd say that's really quite good progress given the fact that you can't magically uh, you know, pluck someone up from middle management. You shouldn't really be putting someone up there as a token uh, female representative. What do you think? You know, I, I, th- I thought that was interesting. I actually think that's quite decent progress, but that doesn't mean that it's good enough progress. And with ethnic minorities, it, in the same UK and US, and it says a similar picture globally, had gone to 14% in 2017 from 7% in 2014, which seems to me like 7% doubled in three years. So it's all about how you cook the data, isn't it? Actually looks quite positive. Of course, it's whether you keep on at that level. And again, it isn't tokenism. We don't want tokenism. So really, um, we want to make sure that we've got a really strong leadership pipeline and it's woven all through the organisation. And I will look at that in terms of a future podcast as where we can, how we can try and ensure that, as I say, it's really baked in. So they said that a third of businesses have made real gains. And this is interesting. That means that some of the businesses, only a third have really made real gains, but the vast majority have made little or no progress. And the laggards have done nothing, are more likely to underperform their national industry median. So underperform everyone else in their um, in their industry um, by 40%. So it's quite compelling. The strong sectors apparently are financial services, technology and healthcare. Perhaps you work in one of those. Do you have a strong inclusion and diversity programme? Let us know on our HR Uprising LinkedIn group. Let's have a chat on this. Let's hear what you're doing um, and how it works. So if you've decided that you want to do more about diversity, and as I said, I will do a future episode um, on how you might benchmark it and practical ways that you could take this forward. But at a high level, the sort of things that the more diverse organisations are doing that are actually really strengthening their inclusion were the following five. These are the key things that came out. Um, It was about increasing diverse representation. So we'll talk about that a bit more. It's about ensuring that there's ownership and accountability at executive level. It's about making sure that you've got a fair and transparent approach to equality. It's about making sure that you're really promoting openness and getting in on bias and discrimination and fostering belonging. And belonging, as some of you might remember, I did a podcast with a lady called Aoife O'Brien. We talked all about um, belonging being the root of engagement. So I thought it was interesting to see that coming up again, making sure that people, wherever, whatever they're, you can see actually that not just as an individual, but actually belonging. If you are 
a member of a, a, an ethnic minority or feel different in some way, it's easy not to feel included and not to have that sense of belonging. That's going to lead to disengagement. You can see that that's going to um, lower performance and vice versa. So if we can address belonging, it's another really key. Um, sounds like fluffy, but actually ends up with business results. So it's really, we're saying it's about both a business-led approach, but also really making steps to strengthen inclusion. So it's not just focusing on diversity. So what we would say, if you want to ensure that the representation of diverse talent is there, it's making sure that you are providing, as I said earlier, that leadership pipeline. So are you advancing diverse talent into all roles, exec, management, technical and board? You can't as my, my point earlier is I thought 5% was quite a decent growth because you're not automatically going to go from zero to board in five years in most large organisations. And it does mean that we need to think about things, not just gender and ethnicity, thinking much more broadly about diversity. Do you need to set t- um, targets for the representation of diverse talent? Interesting. I definitely think you should, we should be targeting it positively. Do you want to go so far as quotas? Possibly not, because then people feel like they are being devalued. It almost devalues somebody who is a naturally talented. We just want to level the playing field is what I would say. And I suppose levelling the playing field is making sure that you don't have bias um, built in. So it's about making sure that really is equality of opportunity through fairness and transparency. And we don't think we have that, but I suppose this is this area where we're entitled, isn't it? It's your white entitlement. So I was speaking for myself there. You know, do we know whether we are being disadvantaged or not? So making sure that we've got measures in place, and I'll come back to this on a future podcast as to how you might evaluate and benchmark where you are with this, using analytical tools, promotions, pay processes, etc. Just make sure we haven't got the bias built in so that we can meet those diversity targets. McKinsey also says we should really strengthen our leadership accountability and capabilities around inclusion and diversity. Um, So that means make sure that we've got business leaders and managers absolutely central to it, that they've got accountability. It's about baking it into things like objectives and strategies and policies. So it's on, you know, it's on our board targets. So something that people take really, really seriously. And promoting openness and tackling microaggressions. Now, that's a term I hadn't even heard of until uh, two, three years ago. But it's quite scary how much of it there is about there, sometimes in cultures of where bullying and harassment um, is endemic. And a lot of that is about microaggressions. And they, those things have perhaps been allowed to go on so long that they're part of the culture. And it means we need to make sure that there's a zero tolerance policy for discriminatory behaviour. Um, you know, even things that are come through as banter, in fact, often things that are put over as banter, is helping everybody become aware of the fact that that's just not acceptable. So it's helping managers and those sort of things, particularly if they've been going on for years, can be really tricky for managers to deal with. So we need to give managers and staff the support to identify and address these microaggressions. So helping them to know how to be open, welcoming, and maybe to get feedback on how they come up and live up to that standard. And finally, I was saying again, this point about fostering belonging. So it's about actually demonstrating that um, that we are open to diversity. I see the NHS do this really well. So particularly with things like um, the rainbow uh, 
I've forgotten the word for it. They're card holders. You'll all be saying the word in the background. They're lanyards, thank you, um, um, things like that. There's lots of areas there which, um, and I'm not saying that's about face value, but where people really feel quite strong, they'll often put it on their footers. So I've, I do see that um, certain organisations are really strong at promoting diversity and inclusion in a really positive way. And maybe other cultures wouldn't feel so comfortable with that. And perhaps that's worth exploring more of, isn't it? So just following on in terms of the whole idea of we've talked about what we can do, we've talked about why diversity is important, the stats and the figures um, going up to 2019. And we've also thought about what we can do to, to promote diversity and the business case for diversity. And just building on that a little bit, one of the one of the things for us all to be aware of at the moment is the fact that actually COVID-19 could erode a lot of what people have been doing. There's quite a lot of suggestion that diversity and inclusion initiatives that were in place before the pandemic have been put on ice. Uh, it's interesting that you could argue, does it, does it make it less inclusive or more inclusive COVID? I don't know in terms of that, in terms of open-minded. I, I do believe that maybe working parents may have found homeworking well, maybe not homeworking with homeschooling, but homeworking and that increased flexibility has made it more inclusive. There's been less maybe of a going down the pub on a Friday night culture, whereas people might feel less um, in included and everybody's been on a leveller when we're all working virtually, if you're in that kind of white collar role. But certainly some of the roles where uh, people are in involved in I don't, manufacturing or some of the, the lower paid roles then it is quite likely that it's going to take a greater toll on women and minorities. In fact, that's one of the things that the McKinsey work suggested, that automation is likely to come in and that is possibly going to have greater issues there. So there's definitely where there's some wins, there's also some losers and it's likely to affect those minorities much more so. Rounding off then, so if we are going to invest in, the, in this and we've looked at our business case in terms of profitability, there are other areas in which organisations, the research suggests that organisations will do well as well. So it is about um, bringing in the right talent. So we're back to people talking about talent drain. I saw something recently about the great exodus that so people are leaving um, organisations. So what, what might this do is it might allow people to have more talent. If you're seen to be a diverse and inclusive organisation, uh, an employer, then you're more likely to bring in more diverse talent and people are going to be attracted to you. It's very good for your employer brand. So that's a positive. We know also that it should include and improve the quality of decision making. So we know you've got broader uh, decisions we're talking about there. So people are going to have multiple perspectives on problems. They're much more likely to come up with creative solutions. And I think that if people feel able to be themselves part of an executive team, they're going to be more likely to be open and honest. Maybe uh, th that we talked about risk earlier that reduces risk because they might feel more able to scrutinise each other's actions and just keeps you on your toes in terms of being a better team, actually, because of course that's what teamwork is all about. The um, they say that diverse teams are more innovative, which would also make sense. If you look at Belbin team theories, that would also that's kind of it links about being able to get people's ideas. We don't want one size fits all means that we have the same blind spots. 
And there was a study that showed that businesses run by culturally diverse leadership teams were more likely to develop new projects than those with um, leaders that are all very similar but very homogenous. So that's quite key. Of course, employee motivation and satisfaction. We alluded to the fact that if you are illustrating teamwork and you're inclusive, then it's much more likely to include improve motivation, satisfaction and engagement. So I would I would think you'd see a link between diversity and inclusion and engagement. And there's certainly survey data to suggest that where people feel positive about it and they state positive facts, again, that links into their own belonging. And overall, it's about making sure that we feel we're a you know, we're in a great position to grow. We've talked about being profitable. It's about being productive. It's about taking people with us because it isn't just about money. Although if you're trying to make a business case to your your team, to set your executive team to invest in some sort of diversity and, and inclusion initiative, then which, of course, you want to make sure that there's a good case for it in your organisation and you're going to be able to measure the benefit of it, which we'll talk about in a future episode, Certainly, this whole idea here about the fact there's a correlation with profitability and innovation and reduced risk, all of those should be ways in which our business leaders think this is something that's worth getting behind. And that's if we, if they don't think it's worth it just for the sake of it, because it's the right thing to do, which you'd like to think they'd all think as well. So anyway, that was um, just a, a little bit of a, a run through the data and the evidence that's out there. So if you want to look up on any of this, most of this I got from McKinsey or CIPD or Forbes. So you can Google it yourself and get more details. There's loads of good um, research out there. Um, and yeah, use this to, to build the business case for your organisation to get the best out of diversity and inclusion. And listen to a future episode I'll do in two or three weeks on the sort of metrics you might want to do and how you might benchmark it in your organisation and build that strategy, work out where and how to focus. Because as now we've generated the business case, we need to think about what it is that we can actually do to make that difference. Thanks as ever for tuning in. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.